when I graduated from high school, my family blessed me with an amazing gift, and they gave me a new-to-me car, and it was my absolute baby. I uh, detailed it every weekend. I spent hours and hours, you know, working on, you know, the stereo system in it and making sure that uh, everything was absolutely, you know, perfect with it to make sure that, you know, it always looked pristine. It was just my, my pride and joy, and it was a red Ford Taurus. Loved that car, and it was so faithful. We had that car for many, many years. But what I recognized after I was given that amazing gift is that I started to see red Ford Tauruses everywhere. It was like everybody had the same idea. Let's go buy red Ford Tauruses. And after this thought kind of went through my head for a while, I recognized that they were always there. It wasn't that they weren't there before. I just did not notice them. But once I owned that car, right, once it, it was something that I focused on, I started seeing more of them. And that's one of these life principles that we're really going to focus today is that what you focus on grows. That's just a general life principle that's just important to recognize that whatever we give to our attention is what we see more of. And we tend to go towards, we tend to gravitate towards what our focus is on. One of the things that I learned as a distance runner is that when I kept my focus on my feet, I tended to go slower. I tended to, you know, I tended to get distracted because I was looking down. But if I looked off into the distance at the horizon, I was able to keep a better pace. I was able to, you know, stay more stable and, and not drift around the road as much. I was, my focus gave me a direction. And what you focus on, man, you just see more of it. You, what you focus on grows. And you better believe that marketing companies know this. This is why when you search for something now, and it's kind of scary to think in this day and age, when you search for something on the internet or go onto a, a shopping website, the algorithms are interconnected between your smartphone, your computer, your, your smart TV, all these things, you know, your, all of these search engine tools, right? Whether it's embedded in a company webpage or whether it is a main search engine, all of them overlap. And wherever you go, to other web pages, those browsers and the ads come up based off what you are interested in. And a lot of websites, even social media sites, you have to tell them your interests in order to have an account. And that way they can send you ads that you are more likely to click on and view the advertisement for. And on top of that, you know, the realization that the average person spends a huge chunk of their time looking at a screen. You know, it, smartphones and computers are different per person, but the average American spends 43 minutes a day watching a television screen. Some of us vastly more, right, with, with streaming content and things like that. That adds up to over 37 hours a year of watching commercials, of watching advertisements. And a lot of your streaming services require you to spend so much time watching an advertisement to go onto it. One of the websites I use for school, I'm, I'm, I'm working on uh, in my, my next degree, and I use a works cited web page to help make sure I'm citing my sources properly to every time I come to that website to use that tool 
I have to watch a 30 second ad. I mean, these things are embedded everywhere because the marketing companies know what you focus on grows and they have a better uh, ability to connect with you if they can get caught onto your focus. And this can be good or it can be bad. Like the knife in my kitchen, it can be used for good or for bad. It's not the thing itself. That knife is not good or bad. It's what I do with it. I can use it to prepare a meal. I can use it to injure myself or others. The knife is neutral. And the same thing's true with technology, right? But if I spend all my time focusing on these ads, the ads send a message to me. And it's just been this way our whole lives. Marketing wants you to believe that you are missing something that what you have is not good enough. The vehicle you have is not new enough. So trade in your old car and get a new one. The clothes you own are not trendy and fashionable enough. So you need to give those away and buy new ones, right? The the technology you have is not up to date and you don't have the newest things. So you need to trade those in or sell them and get something new that is better, right? To make us feel like what we have is less. And if we give into this, if we focus on this, we're going to believe it that you can look at your life and find all kinds of flaws. You can look at yourself in the mirror and find all kinds of things that you don't like. We can look at our lives and say, man, I'm not satisfied in these areas. And when you look at the negative, the negative grows. And the converse is also the same. When I start focusing on the positive, that's why tons of studies have been done in gratitude and thankfulness that taking 10 to 15 minutes a day to be thankful to focus on what you are grateful for and thankful for in your day you're counting your blessings actually changes your perspective it increases your mental resiliency to be able to reframe the situations of your life and see the good and the army we call this hunting the good stuff right because what you focus on grows and jesus also recognize this. Jesus taught this in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. We're about two-thirds of the way, you know, between half and two-thirds of the way through the Sermon on the Mount, and this next section probably, in my opinion at least, is one of the most applicable portions to our everyday life that most of us don't struggle with whether or not we say, like we talked about last time, you know, about fasting. You know, that's not a normal everyday American issue. Maybe it should be, but it's not. You know, most of us don't give up our our meals or things in our life on a regular basis because we're just busy. You know, we have a lot of convenience. We don't also struggle with giving public donations. Most of us don't go into a a religious building and give our money in a public way. Maybe you still attend a church uh, community that passes offering plates and people can see it, but a lot of people now give to their you know charitable donations and to their you know the church communities online. Our family does, so we don't put money in a plate. We contribute online and nobody but the church community knows, right? And so a lot of these things don't impact us near as much as this next section. So if you've got your Bible, Turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read a pretty big chunk to start with, okay? But it's all interconnected. There was just no smart way to break this up because this whole portion that Jesus is teaching from verse 19 all the way to the end of the chapter at verse 34, we're going to read that together. But let me remind you of the context. The Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom, that Jesus is bringing a kingdom that is going to overturn the system of religiosity and legalism that had developed 
over the centuries since the, the prophets stopped receiving messages from God what we call the intertestamental period, the 400 plus years between the book of Malachi and when Jesus comes on the scene, right? Technically when John comes on the scene, right? Luke chapters two and three tell us about how God starts bringing his message to John the Baptist in the wilderness, right? And so as we move into this portion of history, there have been a lot of disillusionment. We've talked about this before, but just as a reminder that the people in Jesus's day could not connect with God in a regular way. Maybe one to seven times a year with the local festivals, they would you know, travel to Jerusalem and go to the temple and offer, offer their sacrifices. Maybe they'd go to synagogue once a week on, on, on Sabbath or have a Shabbat meal and, and, and prayer service. But the rest of everyday life was just so hard to follow the 613 laws within the law of Moses. And so Jesus is bringing it back to reality to take it away from this legalism where the religious leaders had put all these parameters and all these boundaries and all these additional rules on top of the rules. Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. He came to make it applicable to us, to make it so that we, through him, could satisfy those regulations. So as we pick up in verse 19, we're finishing this section where Jesus wants us to understand that God is much more concerned about our heart than he is our hands. Our public displays don't please God. Now, if our public displays are an overflow of what's going on inside of us, then of course that honors God. And we talked about that last week where it looks like Jesus makes a contradiction where he says in the beginning that, you know, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, do your good deeds before men to give glory to your Father in heaven. But then in the last section we saw where he said, when you give charity, when you do prayer, when you fast, do it privately. And your Father in heaven who sees what's done in secret will reward you, will give you that recompense, that compensation, right? That make things right in your life to bless you. And so it sounds like Jesus is contradicting himself, but what he's saying is that when our heart is right and we do public things, that's going to be the overflow of a heart that is focused on him and his kingdom. But if we're being mindful to not celebrate ourselves, to have humility, to have humbleness in our life. That's the idea. So with this in mind, Jesus is focusing on our heart and saying, okay, where is your heart? Where is your focus? And that's where we pick up in verse 19. So track along with me. We'll read the passage and then we'll work on understanding it and then we'll apply it. So let's look at it together in verse 19. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food? and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? 
can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. That's a lot. But all of it is centered around this principle of what you focus on grows. Jesus starts off this section with the idea of not storing up treasures here on earth, but storing them up in heaven. And we have to be mindful. I probably say this too often, but everything with God is about balance. And if we pull verses out and play Bible buffet, and we don't read in context, and we don't read the Bible in context of itself, right? There's multiple types of context, but the three important ones, the biggest ones, are first, what's the context of the passage? Am I pulling an individual sentence or verse out, or am I reading the surrounding verse and passages? The second thing we look at is what's the context of what's going on in when that passage is written, whether historically or in the lives of the people in the situation, right? With the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to everyday people who aren't super wealthy, who aren't leaders in the political world, who aren't, you know, super well respected and, and, and you know, taking care of living lavish lifestyles. These are everyday people trying to survive and make it through another year, make it through another season. And Jesus is trying to help them understand that there's more to life than surviving. See, God doesn't want us to just survive. He wants us to thrive. And that may not mean being on, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous or being a multimillionaire. But it does mean that there is a life that God wants us to have. Jesus said that he came to give us life and life to the full, right? And so when we look at this section, we don't want to pull just this one verse out because a lot of people have twisted this passage to make it say, you know, that Jesus is talking about being poor giving away all your stuff. Don't store up treasures on heaven. And that means we shouldn't have savings. It means we shouldn't prepare for retirement. It means we shouldn't work on paying off our homes. It means we shouldn't, you know, have things in our house that are extra, that are not necess- necessary for life. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. What Jesus is asking for here and what Jesus is ex- expecting us is a life of balance. He says, you know, because here on earth, moths eat your treasures. Rust destroys your treasure. He wants us to understand that eventually all of these things will be gone. That the things that we wear, right, our clothes eventually wear out. They don't last forever. Now, once you're kind of done growing, then they can last a little longer. But man, clothes wear out. Clothes stop being, you know, trendy. Things, you know, wear holes in them. Having children, they outgrow them. They Or they wear them out. They get them dirty and stained. Their, Their shoes eventually get worn out. You do need more. They don't last forever. So what's, you know, at a a certain point, what's the point of buying a $500 pair of tennis shoes that are just going to wear out, right? What's the point of that? The other side of that, man, is God doesn't want us to live in abject poverty either. But people have used and abused this passage by playing Bible buffet, taking the parts they like and leaving the parts they don't to get them to say, you know what? 
here we go. God doesn't want us to store up treasures on earth, so you shouldn't worry about your retirement. No, because if God allows us to live long enough, we all need that one day. If I live long enough and Jesus doesn't come back, I'm going to need new tires for my cars. So I need to save for those things. If Jesus doesn't come back before my children grow up, our children are going to need to go get an education. So we should save for that. We can prepare for those things. That's not the idea of storing up treasures. The heartbeat here is saying, am I doing this just for personal gratification? Am I having too much excess? Another great example is here in Florida. We don't get a whole lot of really cold weather. You know, we don't get feet and feet of snow every winter, and I don't need, you know, ski equipment all the time, right? But I do need some cold weather clothes, right? I've got, I've got a, a few sweaters and jackets that are made for really cold weather. I'd be foolish to give them away and say, well, it's Florida. You know, it's, it's warm most of the year, so I'm going to not keep all these extra things. No, that's, that's not prudent. That's not wise. It's actually foolish. It's actually wasting money because then every year when it gets cold, I have to buy new ones. Right? I mean, it, it's, a, it's a bad stewarding of what God has given me. Jesus wants us to understand our focus. He says to store up treasures in heaven because he says where your treasure is, and this is the key part, the desires of your heart will be also. That's the key part that gives us the, the context of what Jesus is saying. Once again, it's your heart. What you focus on grows. If I'm focused on earthly treasures, that desire is what's going to grow in my life, and it's going to overrule, override, and replace even my desires for heavenly things. That instead of worrying about eternity, right? Have, am I bringing the kingdom? Am I discipling my children? Am I, am I building up a marriage that, that helps my, my, my wife and I grow together? Am I pouring into the lives of other people? Am I being in, involved in my church community? See, those things, right? When heaven is my focus, when the kingdom is my focus, those are the things that are going to grow in my life. But when my earthly wealth and earthly treasures are my focus, th th there's, there's going to be too many things fighting for my attention. That's why Jesus goes into this next part saying that your eye is like a lamp. And he says when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Now, people understood this metaphor. It doesn't mean that when my eye is healthy that I glow, right? that my body is filled with light. He's talking about light versus darkness. You see, in the Jewish culture, light symbolized the presence of God. And darkness symbolized the presence of evil. That's why the wilderness and that's why the ocean were constant symbols for chaos and turmoil and evil because God was not a God of chaos. God is, uh, is orderly and God is a God of peace. He's a God of knowledge and his presence is there and light symbolizes the presence of God. This is why the, the menorah, the, the candlestick that would be in the temple, the tabernacle with the seven candlesticks, right? That, that, that makes a, a menorah. If you've never seen one, you, you just Google it. But it's a, a lampstand that had seven spots for lights to be in it and they had to be burned in the temple every hour of every day, 24-7, 365, because it symbolized the presence of God with his people. And so when my eye is filled with light, when I'm focused on God's presence, my whole body is going to be filled with his presence. Everything in my life will be focused on God. But oh, when my eye is unhealthy, I'm filled with darkness. When I focus on and fix my eyes on the things of heaven, that's what I'm attracted to. That's what grows in my life. When I am focused on the things of darkness, on the things of evil, those are the things that grow in my life. One of the things that's an unpopular thing in this world, and especially in our American culture, 
is jealousy. And we've talked about this before, right? Shakespeare called jealousy the green monster. But every emotion God gives us is useful if we apply it right. I can look at somebody else and see what they have, and I can be jealous of that. And I can do one of two things. I can get bitter or I can get better. If I get bitter, it leads to coveting. It actually means I want that person to be injured and hurt, to fall off that pedestal and make me feel better about myself. That's evil. And if I focus on that, if I get bitter, then man, I'm, everything I see is going to be filtered through darkness. You see, when I focus on the negative things in my life, that's all I see. I can even look at my amazing job that I love so much and I can get bitter about it. I can say, oh, I have to leave my home. I have to spend extra hours. I have to work on projects. I have to do all these things. Man, I just, I just am so tired and I hate this job. I can get bitter. I can look at my spouse. I can look at my children. I can look at myself. And if my eye is full of darkness, that's what's going to grow. The opposite is also true. This is why Jesus ends this section by saying, if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. How can a person not tell the difference between light and dark? Remember, we're talking about God's presence, about heavenly things. How many times in life do we focus on things that we think are good when they're actually bad? Think about social media. And I'm bad about this, man. I love social media. I love seeing what's going on in people's lives and reading interesting things. But if all I do is focus on social media, social media can give me a false sense of connection. And so many studies have shown this that I feel connected when I'm really not. That's looking like light, but really being darkness. I'm not saying you can't use social media if you use it the right way. But if I try to get my connection to other people through social media, I will find darkness and loneliness and disconnection, right? If I begin to say, you know what, I need to be healthy. I need to exercise and eat right. Well, if I'm looking at that thing and say, that's a great thing to be healthy, to steward my body, but I let that become my focus, then I stop enjoying life. I stop saying, you know what, I'm not going to enjoy that meal because it's, it's got too many calories in it. And I'm going to, you know, end up, you know, focusing so much on what my body looks like that I don't enjoy my life. I'm you know, counting my macronutrients and, you know, not enjoying the good things of, the, of God, the life God has given me. And so it looks like light, but it's actually darkness. That's the deception of feelings, right? We've talked about feelings before, that feelings are wonderful gauges. They're terrible guides. So what do we do with this? How do we know if what we have, what we're having our eyes focused on is actually light or darkness? Jesus gives us the recipe. He tells us this in this next passage. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And he says this. He says, you'll hate one and love the other. You can't serve God and money. Now, there's more things to serve besides money, but money was a, a focus for people in Jesus' day. Because if you had enough money, you could relax. You could have servants, and you wouldn't have to cook your meals. Servants would cook your meals for you. If you had money, you wouldn't have to make your clothes. You could buy your clothes, and it would free up that time. If you had money, you could have servants and farmhands to work your vineyards and to, to plant your gardens and tend to your flocks and animals, and you could just spend your time relaxing. In the Roman world, in the Hellenistic environment, every culture has had this, but they really celebrated this idea of leisure time. And so for the Jewish people surrounded by that, they probably had to be feeling the same thing. Man, if I just have enough money, I can enjoy my life so much more. That's timeless. We feel the same way. We think, oh, if I just have enough money, then my life will be better. It'll be easier. 
but the reality is that you're just trading a different set of good and bad. That when you don't have a lot of money, life is simple. You're just trying to survive and you have simple things. And so, yeah, you're trying to get food in your belly and clothes on your back, but it's easier to appreciate stuff. A hungry belly appreciates every meal. A person that, that has been homeless appreciates every roof over their head because they know what it's like not to have it. And so if we get a lot of money, we lose that perspective. And so we can't serve them both. Money is a wonderful tool. It's a terrible idol, right? Everything in balance. So what do we do with this? Jesus gives two real-life examples from their day that even is something we can focus on. You see, for them at the time, so much of their life was built up on food and clothing. And every day they would wake up and have to think about those things. They would have to shear the sheep, turn the wool into yarn, turn the yarn into clothing. And they'd have to stitch and, and, and put all these things together. They'd have to work the loom. They'd have to you know, do all the, the, the things themselves in order to have the ability to have clothing. Because your, your clothing, that's what he said, you know, moths destroy these things. They'll eat your clothing. That's, that's why most people would only have a, a few sets of clothes. But man, can you imagine being a mom as your kids grow? How often you just gotta spend all day, every day making clothes or fixing clothes when kids tear stuff up. You couldn't just go down to the store, most people, and go down to the department store and buy new clothes. Most people couldn't afford that. You'd have to work to get it. Or food. There weren't refrigerators and prepackaged shelf-stable foods. That's a huge blessing we have now. Canned foods, what a blessing to be able to buy a can of soup or a vegetable or something like that and have it last years on the shelf or to have freezers to be able to freeze meat and things like that or even refrigerators all of these things are things we take for granted but every day they would have to get up and seek their daily bread they would have to make bread every morning and pretty much from the start to the finish every you know that you'd have to start one meal and when that meal was eaten you'd have to start preparing for the next one and so it would make sense that they would worry about this. Jesus uses this word worry. And I think that's a pretty important thing that when we talk about worry, worry and concern are two different things. Worry is what happens when I'm fixated on it. When I've done everything I can do, but I just can't let it go. Imagine if you found yourself unemployed, that you had lost your job. And now you've got to get another one. And so you do what you need to do. You, you, you update your resume. You, you start handing out. You apply for jobs. You're doing interviews, right? You get your hairs cut and you, you wear nice clothes and you, and you go to these interviews. And then when you come home, you just can't stop thinking about it. And you just, just you know, marinate on that idea over and over and over again. That's worry. Worry is when I've done everything I can do and I can't let go of it. That's worry. That's different from concern. Jesus is not saying we should not be concerned about things. He's actually saying that, that we should be not we shouldn't be over anxious. That's what the, the word in the Greek for that is the word marinate, which means to be over anxious, to be over concerned. And so Jesus is not saying don't be concerned at all with food and clothing. He's saying don't be over concerned about it. One of the things I teach my girls is this idea, I tell them I say, do your best, trust God with the rest. That's all you can do. There's nothing wrong with being concerned about things. If a doctor tells me that I have a sickness or an illness, I should be concerned about it. But I don't worry about it. That's the balance. I do my best, but then I trust God to do the rest. So what do we do with all of this? How do we apply what Jesus is telling us? 
He gives us the answer in verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he, God, will give you everything you need. Now, one of the things that, that, that I recognize is that it's easy to say and hard to do. But I love what Paul references in Philippians chapter 4, in this famous passage, right? We know in Philippians 4, he says, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that makes wonderful t-shirts and banners for sporting events. For some crazy reason, we decided to, to add that into sports. But one of the things that Paul is talking about in that context is being content with what God's given you. He says, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. He says, I can live on nothing or with everything. He said, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything with, through Christ who gives me strength. And when he talks about this, he says that I know that God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory, right? When he, he, that's what he's talking about. And, you know, this idea of prayer, of being focused on what matters is all what Philippians chapter 4 is about. So what do we do? You and I need to recognize that what we focus on, it grows. Whatever we're fixated on, that's what we're going to see. And if you're dealing with positives and negatives, if you're focused on the positive, you'll find more positives. We shouldn't ignore the negatives, but what are we focused on? What's my, what's my fixation? Am I fixated on the kingdom? If I'm seeking God's kingdom first, everything else falls into place. But if I'm focused on the things of this world, do I have enough money? Do I have enough clothes? Am I trendy enough? Am I fashionable? Do I have the newest stuff? Then you're going to continually be in want because it's never good enough. There's always something newer. There's always something better. As Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, it's like chasing the wind. But if we become satisfied in the kingdom and trust God to provide for us, we do our best. We trust God with the rest. Why? Because what we focus on grows. And I pray that blesses your life.